This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Thank you everybody for tuning in to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. Very excited for this week's episode. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and with me, as always, Brian Com. Hello, Elon. Welcome, everybody, to another fantastic episode to be of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast. If you don't believe me, I guess you'll just have to take my word for it and reevaluate at the end of the episode. Yeah, well, I'm looking at our list of topics, and I don't think you're going to be disappointed. So much to talk about. Before we get into it, let's mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com. It's the best site for fantasy hockey. We say it every week. I don't even know what to say at this point, but I read the Daily Ramblings today. I read it every day. I love using their tools for starting goalies, line combinations, the player profiles, anything you need to know about a player. You you look at the profile, you see who he's been playing with, his game log, when he's been mentioned, his advanced stats. It's a great website, DauberHockey.com. Maybe, like, tweet at us if you could think of anything else we should say about DauberHockey.com, because I know they have, like, a million features. There must be more I could say. Well, there's definitely more you can say, Elon. Of course, Dauber also has guides to help get you through your fantasy season. The mid-season guide has been out for a little while now, but tons of free content on there as well. And also, Elon, we should mention on the last patron cast, I went into great detail on how exactly I use the Frozen Pool tools and Dauber player profiles to sort of evaluate a player and figure out if what they're doing is sustainable or fleeting. Yeah, that patron cast was a blast. And Brian, let's get into the show. Let's do our fantasy hockey headlines. And the first fantasy hockey headline of the week is that all of the goalies are injured. What is happening? This was a crazy week. Let's start with Sergei Bobrovsky in Columbus. He had already been injured. He came out of the IR. He had a horrible game against Washington. I remember in the Facebook group, we were chatting and saying, should I play Bobrovsky in the next game? I was like, yeah, he, you know, he was working off the rust. He'll be fine now. Next thing you know, he's injured. He's back on the IR. He's not the only goalie, by the way, who's on the IR, but we're, we're going to start with Bobrovsky. So if you're a Bobrovsky owner, that sucks. It's a groin injury, no timetable. Who knows how long he'll be out. At this point, you really need to be making other plans. And maybe we could start by looking at the Columbus net because Bobrovsky has been out for a while. And the guy who's been playing the majority of the games isn't Curtis McElhenney because he's also on the IR. And it isn't Anton Forsberg, who maybe we thought it would have been. And that's who came in last year. It's Eunice Corpusalo, who's played in four of Columbus's last five games. The only one he didn't was this one where Bobrovsky got to play. And, you know, aside from coming in against Calgary partway through and not having such a great performance, the other three have been all really good quality starts. 
two wins, over 950 or over 940 save percentage in all these games. So he's doing really well. Brian, who is Yunus Corposalo? Should people be picking him up if they're trying to fill the void of a lost Sergei Bobrovsky? Well, of course, we answered this question, Elon, earlier in the year when we said that he was Finnish legend Yaro Corposalo's son. Oh, yeah. How can I forget? But I suppose a little more relevance to our fantasy knowledge would be, well, who is he in terms of his numbers? And just a quick review of those. He really hasn't played a whole lot in North America. In fact, this is his first full season playing in North America after playing a few years in the Finland SM Liga, doing pretty well there, well enough to warrant some semi-regular starts with the Lake Erie Monsters of the AHL until he was called up because of Bobrovsky's earlier injuries. Now, he hasn't really done anything very special so far in his North American pro career. Lately, he seems to be stabilizing somewhat in terms of an actual save percentage that is passable, except in a very instable way, because there have been huge rises and huge drops along the way, especially in his last five or six starts. We see good and bad, good and bad, good and bad, and it all evens out to being a below-average NHL goaltender. Although, if you look at the numbers, he's got a 9-10 save percentage on the year. Bobrovsky's only at a 9-11, although we do know Bobrovsky has had some sustained periods of solid play. But Brian, like, if you look at what he's done recently, and maybe you could say it takes getting in the net regularly for a new goalie to sort of get used to playing in the NHL. And, you know, aside from this game against Calgary on the 21st, where he was brought in partway through. So let's just throw that away. The three last starts he's had have all been quality starts. 976, 967, and 941 save percentages. So maybe he is finally, like, figuring things out. Like, I don't know if you could base our opinion on him on, like, the whole season when he's sort of, like, just been in and out rarely. Now he's going to be the starter. Or is he? You're making it sound like he's been a bastion of consistency, (laughs) but I don't see three starts in a span of five games being very consistent, even if they did happen to be three good starts. Like, I don't think he's going to be putting up 941s and up over the rest of the season in Columbus. I think the best you could hope for from him is average NHL goaltending. Don't forget he is playing for the Columbus Blue Jackets, who are dead last in the NHL right now. And they aren't really even close to 29th. I mean, they're within spitting distance, but it's not like they're just a point back or have a couple games in hand on 29th and 28th place. They are decidedly in the basement, and their defense has been a big reason for that. So I wouldn't really get too excited about picking up a Columbus goalie because, well, they're going to see a lot of good scoring chances against them. They probably aren't going to stop a whole lot of them, and even if they do, they're unlikely to get the win. So Corpusalo at this point is a good goalie to add if you just need a warm body, if you had Bobrovsky, and you just need another goalie to meet minimum starts or at least compete in the saves category. But I wouldn't get too excited about him helping you out a whole lot in any of the other categories. If he does have a good save percentage game, that's just gravy. All right, fair enough. Yeah, I was just playing devil's advocate. All right, so that's Columbus. Then we move on. We had some news out of Montreal. If you're a Carey Price owner, you're, like, having the worst year because you probably drafted him in the first round of your pool. He's been out for so long. News just came out. He's going to be out probably another month. Some people are even now speculating he might be shut down for the year. But I find that speculation to be unfounded. But that's been what's been going around lately. But even if he's out another month, let's just check in and see what's the status on, like, owning Mike Condon. Clearly, the Ben Scrivens experiment hasn't worked too well. He has an 882 save percentage in his three games that he's played. I think it's definitely Mike Condon's net. 
And, you know, he's also been kind of, like, inconsistent, hard to tell if he's going to have a good game or a bad game. And Montreal, you know, you say that Columbus is one of the worst teams in the league. If you just look over the past couple of months, I'm pretty sure it's Montreal who's been the worst team in the league. Like, who do you, would you even rather have between Condon and Corpusalo? I will take Condon. I don't think you're going to see a lot worse numbers from Condon, and there's a much higher chance of wins, even though... Of course, that is very hard to believe at the moment. We've spent a lot of time over the last week, both on the Facebook group and in the patron cast and on Twitter, just talking about how poor the Montreal Canadiens are doing. And usually this is the point where I would say it can't last forever, and I'm still going to say that, but I have to admit there is this nagging voice in the back of my head that worries that it's going to last longer than any of us think. But I would still much rather have Condon. He actually had started to build some positive momentum. He had three straight wins, quality starts in five of six. And then he came back down to earth with two sub-900 stinkers. And then another sub-900 performance last night against Toronto. Though that one actually counts as a quality start because he gave up two goals or fewer. I think the positive news for Condon is that he's at least held off Scrivens for now. It's clear that there is a 1-2 situation in Montreal. And because of that, I think he's worth owning as a fantasy goalie. Probably a number three But when Montreal figures out whatever they need to figure out to start winning games again, I imagine he'll be good enough to be your number two. Okay, let's keep moving along. I've got a lot of players I want to talk about. Yet another injured goalie, Cam Ward on the IR. That kind of came out of nowhere. He just like expressed concern about neck soreness. The next thing you knew, he has a concussion. So who knows how long he'll be out. Eddie Lack has taken over. And, you know, before I get into the goalies in particular, we should mention that normally you'd be thinking, oh, Carolina goalie, what does it really matter? I don't really want either of them. They're not going to win any games. Carolina's been pretty good lately. They've been slowly climbing up the standings. They've been one of the better teams over the past month or so. So maybe there is some relevance. And yeah, Cam Ward was doing pretty well. He's out though. And Eddie Lack, you know, it's hard to say. He had a shutout against Toronto two games ago. Then I actually picked him up in one of my leagues. And then he rewarded me with a really bad start against the Rangers, a loss, 875 save percentages. So that wasn't very helpful. I still have him. I hope he'll be good. But Brian, should I be expecting more from Eddie Lack? I remember last year, everyone was talking about him as Vancouver's future, and they were so surprised that Vancouver traded him. Now this year, it seems like Markstrom is a much better goalie than Lack. Lack's been brutal with only an 896 save percentage on the year. But like I say, now he has the opportunity to be the starting goalie with Cam Ward injured. Maybe he can bounce back. I think he has a bounce back in him. He was a 921 goalie last season, playing about half the year for Vancouver. The year before, in his rookie year, he was a 912, playing exactly the same amount of games, 41 for the Canucks. Like you said, Elon, his save percentage this year is markedly worse, which is surprising to us because, you know, we had earmarked lack early on in the season as somebody who could take over a number one starter's job and post good numbers while doing it. And the only caveat was, well, you know, Carolina is not a very good hockey team, so don't expect a lot of wins coming from him. And in fact, it's been like a flip situation of that, where Carolina has turned into a pretty good hockey team. Their possession numbers are very strong. They seem to have a real solid system down as a team. They've only lost six of their last 22 in regulation, and all they're missing is steady goaltending, and Eddie Lack has had a chance to be that steady goaltender, but he hasn't been able to provide it yet. He's still a ways away from cracking even 9-10, even though, like lately, he is starting to see enough time to get into a groove. He has won six of his last 11 starts. He's playing for a team that can play very good defense in front of him. I still think he can get his game together if he is available in your league. He's on a team that's on the rise and essentially just waiting for him to catch up to them, and I think that he can manage to do that. So 
Eddie Lack right now in fantasy is a real great free agent grab if he hasn't been taken already. So you like Eddie Lack over Condon? I do like Eddie Lack over Condon, and another reason I'll give you is longevity. Whenever Carey Price returns, Carey Price is going to be number one. I don't know when Cam Ward is going to return. This is not his first concussion, and we know every concussion takes a little longer to recover from. So I see Eddie Lack being the starting goalie for longer. Well, I don't know. I mean, we've been saying this about Mike Condon for a while now, being like, might as well not grab him because Price is going to be back soon. And the news just came out that's going to be another month. So I don't know. Assuming, let's say, that they were both going to stay the same amount of games, it sounds like you still like Eddie Lack. I don't know. It's tough. It's hard to just believe that Carolina could be a really good team. You look at their team, I don't see so many players really breaking out. We have Eric Stahl in one of our leagues, and he hasn't been too, too great. Their leading scorer over their last 15 games has been Christopher Stieg with 10 points in 15 games, and Eric Stahl with 9 points in 15 games. Jeff Skinner has gone cold. I don't even know how they're winning all these games. I guess their defense has been good. Maybe I should pay more attention to Carolina, but we'll see. Eddie Lack, though, yeah, he has this pedigree in my mind as a good goalie because I remember him being a great spot start last year for Vancouver. I guess it'll be interesting to follow over the next couple of weeks. Brian, more injuries. Ugh. Let's talk about Ryan Nugent Hopkins on the Edmonton Oilers. He's now out long term. And it's so frustrating because we've been talking about the Oilers and saying they're doing okay. And now McDavid's going to come back. Things are going to be fantastic. But of course, with a center coming back, they have to lose a center long term. A lot of people are asking about Edmonton Lions lately and like, and also what people can expect. We had a question from a new patron, Brian, and the Facebook group wondering if Nail Yakupov is going to be worth something because he's come back and not done too much. He scored a goal in his first game back from injury, scored another goal against Dallas, so two goals in six games, but, you know, he hasn't getting much ice time. Of course, everyone was hoping it's going to be Yakupov with McDavid and Pouliot getting the band back together. Right now, the lines, you know, have been pretty wonky on Edmonton with the first line being solid. Hall, Dreisaitl, Purcell. That hasn't changed, but then people have really been bouncing around. It's like Anton Lander centering Eberle and Pouliot, except also Neil Yakupov has gotten in with Pouliot and Eberle and, like, Pouliot being the center. Not sure if I even really have a question for you, Brian, with this whole rant about the Oilers, but I'm just curious to know, how do you think things are going to shake out once McDavid is back? Who's going to stay? Who's going to go? I think you actually did just break down the whole situation pretty well. It looks like Dreisaitl and McDavid will probably be the top two centers in Edmonton and Pouliot. Hopefully we'll not have to do a ton more duty at center. Instead, he'll probably go back to wing when McDavid returns. But it is Purcell and Yakupov who are probably the candidates for the unspoken for top six spot. And we've seen Yakupov out of that top six spot in a healthy lineup. We've also seen Purcell out of that top six spot in a healthy lineup. So we're going to have to wait. I can't do a whole lot of speculation here to figure out who's going to be where. But if you are a Purcell owner, now is definitely an interesting time for you because you're, you got to figure out if if you want to try and sell high, although he has slowed down a little bit as of late, or if you have faith that he's going to keep being able to be a reasonable producer for you, even when contending for a top six spot that becomes all the more competitive with a healthy Oilers lineup. Although we don't know when they'll be fully healthy, as Nugent Hopkins seems like he will be out for a fair amount of time. Well, you could definitely tell that McClellan likes Purcell more than Yakupov, at least in terms of like ice time. Purcell's been getting still 18, 19 minutes a game, while Yakupov's down to 12, 13. So my guess would be to not bank on Yakupov. That's what I've kind of been saying in the Facebook group. Maybe he'll get back with McDavid and maybe he'll be able to start producing again consistently. But I'm, you know, I'm not going to get too excited. But hey, I've been burned by that logic before. Before we move on from the Oilers, Elon, just a quick shout out to Taylor Hall's five game point streak. He had been cold for a few games and now he has two goals and five assists in his last five games, getting two and three shots on goal per game. 
He's been a steady minus in that time, though, so that could hurt you if your league counts that. But I feel like he's been one of the quieter point-per-game players this year. He has 48 points in 50 games played so far. So just a moment of kudos to Taylor Hall. Way to go, Taylor Hall! Okay, still more injuries. On Detroit, Nicholas Cronwall is on the IR, and he hasn't been having a very good year. I wonder if we should have been talking about him as a snoozer at some point. Only 17 points in 45 games. So I guess for a defenseman, that's not so bad, but we expected so much more from a guy like Nicholas Cronwall, who was going to be their top defenseman. They brought in Mike Green. He hadn't been doing much. Now with Cronwall injured, Mike Green becomes a better own. Like He's really been stepping up. He's got four points in his last five games getting a lot more minutes. He played almost 23 minutes in Detroit's game yesterday against Anaheim and compare that to more like a 20 minutes per game average on the year. I know that Mike Green's stock has fallen quite a bit since he signed with the Red Wings, but if he's a free agent in your league, I think now's the time to grab him. Do you concur, Brian? We have seen about one consistent run of production from Mike Green so far this year, and it came all the way back in like late November, early December. So it's nice to see him doing something, and he should be with the extra time he's getting. He has been able to take advantage of some extra power play time that he's been seeing since Cronwall has been on the shelf. You can see the percent share of his team's power play time that he's getting. It was in the 30s and 40s. Sometimes it dipped into 50. But in the last three games... He's had a night where he had 68% of his team's power play minutes, and another night most recently against Anaheim, he had 80% of his team's power play minutes. So this is a really great opportunity for him to get in there, show he can own that role, and hopefully stick even when Cronwall comes back. And Elon, I don't think Cronwall has been struggling for too long. At one point, he had about 16 points in 38 games. He was on pace for 40 points, and we know him as a guy who can put up a couple hits a game, a couple blocks a game couple shots. So good peripherals player, especially for anybody who is generally tracking to produce more than 35 points in a season. But yeah, he has gone cold of late, just one point in his last seven games. Not a whole lot happening there. Not a whole lot happening for a lot of Red Wings, right? Yeah, I was going to say, it seems like maybe Cronwell's decline has come with a lot of the Red Wings. We've gotten a lot of questions from people asking if they should be dropping guys like Nyquist or Tatar. And you would think like, no, these are good players. And and they're playing with Zetterberg. And even Zetterberg isn't doing that well. Like he only has five points in his last 14 games. Nyquist also five points in that span. Tatar six. Like really the only Red Wings that have been producing consistently lately are Pavel Datsyuk, who was on a really good run. He's actually scoreless in his last three games, but he's got... 11 points in his last 14. Dylan Larkin has still been pretty good. He had a two-point game against Buffalo. Overall, you know, definitely exceeding expectations for this year. Aside from those two, I don't think you could point to one Red Wings player that their fantasy owners are excited about owning right now. The line combinations have been shifting around a lot. Right now, it's looking like Zetterberg with Larkin and Abdelkader on line one. Oh, by the way, Abdelkader, nothing from him lately. Then Nyquist, Helm, and Datsyuk line two. And then Tatar is like way down with Riley Sheehan and Brad Richards. So of these guys, who do you expect to bounce back? I assume it's Zetterberg. But like, what about Nyquist and Tatar, let's say? Of those three, like, do you think that any of them can be dropped at this point? Do you think they're all going to bounce back? Okay, lots of names there. First off, Abdelkader. Well, we've had these discussions before over, like, really the entire life of the podcast. He's going to come, then he's going to go, and stay away for a little while at a time. That's not a huge surprise for me, but Nyquist and Zetterberg and Tatar going as cold as they have been has been a little concerning. And if you look at all three of them, though, it's actually not too surprising when you see that pretty much across the board, they have been generating fewer shot attempts this year than any of them had previously in their careers. You look at Zetterberg, his shot attempts and shots on goal per 60 minutes are down. 
Same with Nyquist, same with Tatar. Tatar is the one who's been able to stay closest to earlier career marks, but you see that their shooting percentages are relatively stable, their on-ice shooting percentages are relatively stable. So this probably points to some kind of system change with a new coach in place that has somehow taken away from the amount of pucks that they can put on the net. And when that happens, of course, they're going to score fewer goals and fewer points. Another Sticking point with the Red Wings right now is I think their defense has been pretty weak, and we've done a lot of lauding of Peter Mrazek's work this season, and that's essentially why, is because he's getting hung out to dry several times a game, being able to hang in there, but then, you know, I wonder if it's almost like a Pittsburgh situation where when the defense does have the puck, they're doing a lousy job of getting it to the forwards to create scoring chances. Whatever's happening in Detroit right now, the system is not really working, and there's going to need to be tweaks before we see guys like Nyquist, Tatar, and Zetterberg get back to doing what they do. I think they're all definitely still capable of scoring. That goes without saying, but I can't blame anybody for getting impatient with them at this point because this has been a real, real dry spell with very little to be positive about in the meantime, too. Like, you look at their shot totals, and nobody's even doing anything consistently there. Nobody's having, like, a few four or five shot games in a row. In fact, the only players on the Red Wings who have had any kind of fancy relevant production over the last three weeks, so ten games or so, have been Mike Green, who we already talked about, Dylan Larkin, who you mentioned, Elon, seven points in his last ten, and Datsuk with eight points in his last ten, and that's sort of front-loaded on the first part of those last ten games. Yeah, so it's tough. Like, I feel like with Zetterberg, you just have to hold on. Like, he has the history of being an elite player, like, almost a point-per-game player, so you can't drop Henrik Zetterberg. But for guys like Nyquist and Tatar, you know, last week we talked about players like Bo Horvat, Sam Bennett, Jacob Silverberg, David Perron, like, all of these guys who were doing well. They've all continued to do well this week. Like, they're all still having great weeks. They're still rolling. If you're an owner of Nyquist or Tatar and you keep seeing these guys in your free agency that are producing, at what point do you pull the trigger? Like, if you had Nyquist right now, would you drop him if you saw Horvat, Bennett, and Silverberg all available? Depending on my league and where exactly I am in the standings, I feel like that is a move that I would want to make. It's not that I don't think that Nyquist can contribute to your fantasy team later in the year, but let's say if you're jockeying for playoff positioning right now in your pool, you can't sit and wait for that to happen. If you need to turn Nyquist's spot into a streaming spot, you could do a lot worse And some guys who are really coming up. Silverberg especially is somebody whose situation has changed a little bit and who we've expected to sort of develop into a steady score. And now that he is at this very moment, it's really tempting to go for him over a guy who's slumping, who we should be able to expect 55, 60 points out of. And yeah, don't worry, we'll get into some more of these players on hot streaks who you may want to be dropping these disappointing players for. We'll, do, we'll get to them soon. Let's do one more disappointment, though. Let's go to Ottawa. Kyle Turris is injured. Yeah, we're still talking about injuries, by the way. And Turris may not be out for long. He's just day-to-day. But it's just a good jump-off point to talk about how disappointing these Senators players have been. A lot like the Red Wings. You know, you have guys like Turris, Mark Stone, Mike Hoffman, people that people had been depending on early in the year and expecting to really produce for them. Stone has four points in his last 13 games. Hoffman has five points in that span. Kyle Turris, before he got injured, he had only four points in his last 11 games. And much like the Red Wings, the Senators only have a couple of fantasy-relevant players at the moment, or people who have been producing, like Eric Carlson is Eric Carlson, 13 points in his last 13 games. He doesn't care who's slumping. Bobby Ryan's been pretty decent. And actually, Mika Zibanejad, who's taken over from Kyle Turris on the top line, he's doing pretty well. He's got eight points in his last 13 games. But a lot of people are holding on to the Mike Hoffmans and the Mark Stone. Do we have to start saying that we're approaching snoozer territory with these guys? 
Well, coming off talking about the Detroit Red Wings and leading into the Ottawa Senators seems somewhat fitting because the Ottawa Senators are also playing a system that looks very broken. Now, I've heard that there is some kind of method to the madness in the fact that they are losing the possession battle pretty much every single game and losing badly to the point that they are consistently one of the bottom 10 teams in the league in possession. But I heard that that's all part of the plan, that they have a goalie in Craig Anderson who can stop that. Yeah, sounds like a great plan. Just depend on the goalie to save you. Yeah, and Craig Anderson certainly has not been quite up to the task in several games recently, which is a little concerning. But anyway, just getting back to the sense, I feel like they're also in a situation where the best decisions on ice aren't being made. Like they're playing weird players in weird positions like Mark Borowiecki on the top line, although I know that was just a little experiment due to injuries, but it's still like out there as a possibility from game to game. Meanwhile, you have Stone and Hoffman and Tourists who have all gone cold lately, but I'm pretty comfortable in saying they're going to warm up again and soon. I don't feel like they're going to stay down for too long. Stone, even though he hasn't been in the league terribly long, looking at his comparables, looking at what kind of players he plays like, which we did a lot of last season, makes him a pretty reliable guy in my books for at least 55-60 point pace going the rest of the way. Mike Hoffman can also get going. I'm not concerned about him starting to score goals again. And Kyle Torres is about as steady as they come. He was actually, I think, playing injured for the last little while. He missed his first ever game as an Ottawa Senator just the other night. So I think that might speak to something that he might have been trying to play through to keep up his team Ironman streak going. The only other thing to keep in mind is now that Milan Mahalik is injured for a little while, you wonder whether the Sens are going to try and stack their top line with Stone, Torres, and Hoffman, as I think they should to try and score as many points as they can, or if they try to distribute that through the lineup. And that will be probably a pretty good indication of what you can expect from those three players. When they're together expect a ton of points. Otherwise, usually it's tourists in stone who get to stick together, so you can expect them to still do something. Mike Hoffman can generate his own offense, but on a weak Ottawa team that can't seem to get the puck out of their own zone, he's going to really have to be the generator of his own offense. Interesting. So, sounds like you're saying, while with Detroit, you were like, Tatar and Nyquist, you could probably drop them for some of these streaming guys. With Ottawa, you say, hold on to Stone and Hoffman. You think that they're going to have a better chance of bouncing back. Are you sure it's not just the inner sense fan in you saying that? Maybe I have a little bit more faith in these guys than I would in the Detroit guys. Although the Detroit guys, I definitely did say they're all going to come back. It is just a matter of system tweaking. In Ottawa, though, I don't think it's a matter of system tweaking. They have succeeded in this system before, but I feel like it's something that they really have to overcome. And at the moment, they're just not up to the task. Maybe after the All-Star break. All right, so hang on until at least the All-Star break. We'll reassess in a couple of weeks, let's say. We'll go back to Ottawa. Okay, enough of this sad news with the injuries. How about a player who's come back from injury? Let's talk about David Krejci. Finally came back for the Bruins. He's played two games, didn't get a point against Vancouver, got an assist against Columbus. Don't have to worry about David Krejci. He's awesome. He already played 20 minutes, almost 21 minutes yesterday against Columbus and got that assist. So he's right back in, no rust there. And the interesting thing now is that the Bruins are healthy now that Krejci and Pasternak are both in the lineup. It's interesting to see what they're doing. And we were talking about Ryan Spooner as someone who had been doing so great in Krejci's absence, but maybe someone we'd have to look at again when Krejci's back to see if he'll still be in as good a position. Well, Spooner just keeps on rolling. At this point, I'm going to like stop making caveats about Ryan Spooner. He has 13 points in his last 14 games. 
Even with Krejci back, he had an assist in each of his last two games. And you know what? I would have expected him to be moved down to the third line center, and he was for a bit. But I see in the Bruins' last game, he was playing a bit with Patrice Bergeron and Brad Marchand on the second line. So Spooner might even have been moved into the top six, while Matt Bolesky went down to the third line. So we've got Krejci, Erickson, and Pasternak, and then Bergeron, Marchand, and Spooner. That's a great top six. Then you have the top power play, Spooner's there with Krejci, Erickson, and Bergeron. So I think at this point, moving forward, Brian, am I correct? to just say Spooner is great don't worry about who's coming back from injury or what he's going to be in a good position and he's going to continue to produce well this is going to be a bit of a funny answer but I'm going to say you can keep counting on him to produce for as long as he's producing a few episodes ago we looked into his production and where it's coming from and how it's been a little surprising that he's been able to do as much as he has with as few scoring chances and shot attempts as he's been putting up and also that his coach has been patient enough with him to really just get killed in the possession battle more than pretty much any other top nine Bruins forward and still get out there in prime opportunities. Now, saddling him with Bergeron, or rather, saddling Bergeron with him could be something that works because Bergeron is fantastic at controlling play. That's an experiment that I'd like to see last a little longer, and if it does, of course, then the outlook for Spooner is very rosy. But staying in that top six is key, being with other players who can take care of getting the puck and moving it up the ice, I think that's going to be really important to keep him from falling off a fantasy-relevant production pace. And I guess since we're on the Bruins, Spooner has been great. But another guy who's been great is David Pasternak. He has five points in six games since coming back from his major injury. And actually, he played three games and then got injured again. Then he came back for three games. And his last three games, he's got four points in those three games. Two goals and two assists. And he only played seven minutes against Montreal when he came back from that injury, but got a goal in the system that game. Then his ice time has been going up each game since. Still not up to where it was before he got injured. But clearly, you know, now with Krejci back, I guess there's less time for him. There was no news that he was sent to the fourth line for a little while because of a bad defensive play, but that doesn't seem to be a concern. He's playing with Krejci and Erickson, so if David Pasternak's still available for you, he's another guy that I would like. I would want Spooner more, but I would definitely want David Pasternak as well. Yeah, I'd still prefer Spooner too, but what a fun time to be a Bruins fan, to be able to cheer for both of these guys. Although they are bouncing around the lineup a little bit, they still look like guys who can produce and make significant contributions to the team. In the coming years, the one advantage that I will definitely give to Spooner, at least over the last 10 games, is that his shot rates are super. He has had three or more shots in six of his last 10 games. His power play time is also way up there, playing on the first unit, whereas Pasternak is not getting that same treatment in terms of deployment, and he has actually had two shots or fewer in nine of his last 10 games. So if I had to choose one or the other right now, I would take Spooner, but again, I think deployment is going to be the big story that helps determine which one of these guys has the most value. Yeah, and like I mentioned before, it seems like one casualty of Krejci being back might be Matt Bolesky. He had a good run a little while ago. He was picked up in a bunch of leagues. He's gone cold lately. He had a couple of points against Buffalo on January 15th. Aside from that, just nothing. And now if he's off the top six, you know, not much power play time. He only played 12 minutes and 42 seconds last game. So definitely now would be the time to consider Matt Bolesky a snoozer until he could get back to where he was before in the lineup if he was valuable in your league at one point. Now let's move into talking about a bunch of players on hot streaks. We started the show on a bit of a down note with the injuries, and then we talked about all these snoozers on Ottawa and Detroit. So let's talk about some players who are getting us really excited. And let's start with some people we already talked about just last week, because we talked about how David Perron was traded from Pittsburgh to Anaheim for Carl Hagelin. And both of them have been fantastic. No matter which player you picked up, you're happy you did. Perron, we talked about how he would be playing probably on the second line with Kessler and Silverberg. 
But that does not seem to be the case. He's been playing with the Getzlaffs and Corey Perrys. And no, not together, actually. It seems like Anaheim has been trying to break up that top line again. But in the last game for Anaheim, Perron played with Getzlaff and Chris Stewart. Got himself another assist. That's now three points in three games since joining the Ducks. He's also been on the top power play in the last two games. 66% share of the power play time in his last game's four shots on goal in the last game. He also had three shots in their first game against LA. So Perron is looking like a really good pickup. I'm actually interested to know, Brian, who you like better between Perron and Jacob Silverberg, who you mentioned before is someone you're really excited about. We talked about him last week as someone on a hot streak, and he's just kept on rolling two assists against Detroit, a goal the game before against Minnesota. He's getting good minutes. He's taking a lot of shots. He's not on the first line. He's not playing with Getzlaff or Perry, but he is playing consistently with Ryan Kessler and it looks like Andrew Cogliano in the last game. And Kessler's also on a nice stretch. So who do you like between Silverberg and Perron if you had to pick one right now? It looks really strange to look at the Anaheim lines and see, well, take with Perron. You should take him because he's playing with Ryan Getzlaff and Chris Stewart. Oh, okay. So I feel like still, though, the fact that he's on the top power play unit means that he's probably the guy you want. But let's not discount what Silverberg has been doing. He has nine points in his last eight games played, and we mentioned this little run he was starting last week. Thank goodness it's continued into this week, although one thing has changed with him. He had a span where he had 23 shots in four games, averaging almost six per game. In his last game, he just had a single shot on goal. I mean, that's just one game. We're not going to get too excited about it. And really, if we're keeping our eyes on the prize here, he did have two assists that game. Part of his ability to start producing has been tied to his teammates' success. And Ryan Kessler has also gone on a little bit of a run lately. Essentially his first really fancy relevant run of the year, I think, if I'm remembering right. He's got eight points in his last 10 games now, five of those goals. He's taking a healthy amount of shots as well. And both these guys have suffered from low on-ice shooting percentages all season long. So I think now that things are starting to go in for them, they're getting the points. Although Kessler's own shooting percentage has been fine, Silverberg's has been quite low through the course of the season. So I expect him to be able to put more goals in the net than he has to date. But anyway, to take this all back to your original question, I'm really excited about what Silverberg's doing, but I would still take the guy who's playing with Ryan Getzlaff, and that's David Perron at the end of the day. Fair enough. And then on the other side of that trade, like I said, Carl Haglin went to Pittsburgh, jumped right on a line with Phil Kessel and Evgeny Malkin. So that's a pretty nice place to be. And he's been producing. He has an assist in each of his last three games on Pittsburgh. So that's three points in four games now overall on that team. And he was on a bit of a hot stretch before he got traded. He had three points in his last two games, four points in his last four games with Anaheim. So Haglin is on a nice little run right now. And, you know, on that line with Malkin and Kessel, that is like really something you can't ignore. Like there's no reason to expect that with a line mate like Evgeny Malkin, who's on a point per game pace right now, and Kessel, who's finally heating up, I I would expect good things from Carl Haglin, and this is a guy who's probably not owned in your league. You could probably get him, and I would expect he's going to get at least two points in every three games moving forward as long as he's on that line. I think that would be fantastic for Carl Haglin. It's great to see him really catch on here in Pittsburgh after falling out of favor in New York and then really never getting an opportunity in Anaheim, despite the fact that he was behind only Getzlaff and Perry in high-danger scoring chances for per 60 minutes. I'm not sure he ever really got the credit he was due while playing in Anaheim. He never really got the play that I think he should have gotten from his coach, and he's now seeing that in Pittsburgh and reaping the rewards. I think Carl Haglin in a good situation 
is definitely a 50 to 55 point player. And if he's playing with some really elite talent, maybe he can add a couple more points to those totals too. Okay, and you mentioned the Rangers. Let's go there for a bit because there were a few players that I wanted to bring up on hot streaks that were really cold for a while. Like Derek Stepan, I recall on our patron-only Facebook group that a lot of people were saying, okay, I'm tired of Stepan, I'm dropping him, who should I pick up? It wasn't even a question of should I drop Stepan? It was like, I'm dropping Stepan. But if for some reason you did hold on to Derek Stepan, who I admit was colder than we expected him to be, and he's always been kind of a streaky guy in fantasy, but he was doing really nothing for you. But lately, he's picked it up. He's got points in his last four games, five points overall in that stretch. And he's doing it on a line with JT Miller, who I have to mention, JT Miller has four goals in his last four games. And two games ago against Vancouver, he took eight shots. Aside from that, he's just like one or two every game. So I don't know where that Vancouver game came from. Two days ago against Carolina, he scored two goals, but that was on two shots. But this line with JT Miller, Derek Stepan, and it looks like it's been Jesper Fast with them. He hasn't been doing very much. Though Chris Kreider was there before, and he was actually on a really nice stretch after also having done nothing for a long time. He had a four-game point streak before getting injured. He is only day-to-day. Hopefully, he'll be back soon. But it seems like with Kreider back, this line of Stepan, Kreider, and JT Miller might be worth watching. I'll start off with the one who's injured, Elon. Chris Kreider is someone who definitely takes his fair share of lumps on this show. But he actually is second on the Rangers this season in high danger scoring chances per 60 minutes. Only Kevin Hayes is ahead of him right now with Nash trailing behind him and then Lindbergh and Zuccarello. Stepan is way down at the bottom. He's had such a terrible season by so many measures. Even with this recent run, he's still on like a barely acceptable pace for what we expect from a top six center. Going on to the other guys, we have JT Miller, who is now officially surpassed his career high of 23 points, although that was in 58 games, but now he's got 24 in 47 games with this most recent outburst. I'm not sure we can really expect it to last, although he has yet to play a full season in the NHL. His rookie season, he played 26 games. Sophomore, he played 30. Last year, he played almost 60. This year, he's probably going to set a record for the most games played in his career, so maybe we'll get a good look at what he's supposed to do, but it's also worth noting that the 12 goals that he's managed to score have come on just 74 shots, which gives him a 16% shooting percentage, which is 6% above his career mark. Yeah, well, JT Miller has been jumping up and down from the big leagues and the minors for the past few years, but now it seems like he has a home on this line with Derek Stepan, so we'll see what he could do with it. It'll be interesting. Sticking in New York, but not on the Rangers, on the Islanders, the Brooklyn Islanders. Are they called that now? I think that's what management was hoping, but I don't think they should ever be called the Brooklyn Islanders. <laughs> okay, well, I want to talk about a player who I think everyone decided to just forget about, Nick Letty, their top power play defenseman who was getting just no points at all. All of his owners were disappointed. If he's still in your free agency, you have to grab him. I found him in free agency, Brian, in our joint league. I was surprised he was still there because, you know, we had seen him. I think we even picked him up for like a day and then we're like, what were we doing? He does nothing and dropped him. But I have him now. I'm so excited about it because he's on a nice run. He had a five-game point streak around the new year and then he went cold for three games. And since then, he's back to getting points in his last three games, two goals and assist in his last three games. He's like clearly, he always has been, but he's clearly getting the top power play minutes. And the thing is now the Islanders are scoring goals. You know, like back when we were complaining about Nick Letty, that's also when John Tavares wasn't doing much and some of these other guys. But now you take a look, the top power play is Tavares, Ocposo, Nielsen, Anders Lee, and Nick Letty. And they're just producing, they're doing well. Nick Letty should not be a free agent in your league at this point, in my opinion. You should pick him up if he's still there. That's a great point, Elon. And we've seen little mini runs like this before from Nick Letty this season. 
Nothing is sustained as this. And the other great thing about this, Ryan, I feel like all our listeners can probably repeat and know exactly what I'm going to say right now about Nick Letty is that even when he does produce a few points here and there, there's no peripherals to go along with it. Well, that has not been the case. Over the last 10 games or so, he's got three multi-block games, which is a really big deal for Nick Letty. He had a game where he had two hits. Wasn't that exciting? And he also has actually been putting steadily two or more shots on goal in the better chunk of his last five or six games. So while maybe the hits and blocks bit was a bit tongue-in-cheek, if he can put up points semi-regularly, especially on the power play, and at least contribute to one other fantasy category, I am more into him now than I have been at any other point during the season, excluding the preseason, of course, when we were really hoping for big things. But he seems to be working his way back up into our good graces, and is a great depth add after a lot of owners ditched him for pretty much nothing after letting him essentially take up space on their roster for a couple months. They weren't wrong to drop him, but you would be wrong to consider not adding him right now. (laughs) To consider not adding him. Don't even consider not adding him. Yeah, at the end of the day, it's hard to find a top power play defenseman on a good team. Here's one that might be available to you. Okay, sticking with these players on hot streaks, we have to mention Carl Soderberg. We had a question from our patron, Yannick. Will Soderberg hit 60 points? And this is definitely something that we wouldn't have expected, but he's just been trucking a long. I remember he had a hot streak on Colorado earlier in the year and we were like, oh, it's pretty good. You know, we always thought he was pretty good on Boston. He might be able to keep it up. Right now he has 34 points in 50 games, which is more like a 55 point pace, but he's really been heating up lately. Like if you look at his last nine games, he's got three goals and five assists in that span. So almost a point per game. He's getting a good amount of power play time on Colorado. They've really just been splitting it into two even units, it seems. And if you look at Soderbergh's game log, you just see around 50% of the power play time almost every game. He's playing upwards of 18, 19, 20 minutes. So he's got a good position in the lineup. It's not a matter of like, oh, he's just a low guy in the lineup who's happening to get points and it's probably not going to last. Like he is a solid guy on the avalanche. Like I said, he plays on the power play. I think he's a great guy. If he's available, you want to own him. He's probably not available. Brian, do you think he's going to hit 60 points? Yeah, Soderberg is actually poised to break his career high in points scored. He's got 34 and 50 games so far. His previous career high was 48 points and 73 games in his rookie year with Boston. That year, he had 16 power play points. This year, he's already up to 12. And I think that's the common thread that makes a successful season for Carl Soderberg. It's that he's given opportunity to produce on the power play. And in Colorado, they have enough names to spread around so that they do have two essentially number one units. And he's taking good advantage of being on those units because really at even strength, he doesn't get a whole ton of opportunities, at least not significantly more than he's seen in the past. If you look at his scoring chances, he's one of the lowest on the team. If you look at his points per 60, he's one of the lowest on the team. If you look at how many starts he gets in the offensive zone, he's also one of the lowest on the team. So he is making the most of the opportunities that he does see to produce offense, which is a really positive thing. 60 points might be difficult with the sort of numbers that he is putting up under the surface. But I think 55 points would be a really happy ending to this season for Carl Soderbergh. And if he was a winger, say, instead of a center, I think it would be even more exciting to Pulis. I know he's sort of floated around the top of a lot of free agent lists with a lot of those 50-55 point centers that tend to get left there because they can only be eligible for center. And the last thing that most fantasy teams need right now is another center. And I think that maybe has contributed to how we valued Soderbergh as maybe a depth producer, 
But if you look at him in just a vacuum as any position player, he's doing very well for himself so far this year. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where Soderbergh gets drafted in leagues next year. If people will think of him as his 55, 60 point guy, if he hits it this year, he's 30 years old. I guess he's in his prime. I'm curious to see what he could do on Colorado over the next couple of seasons. But let's move to defense. Now, I want to talk about a player on Nashville, Brian, who has really surprised me because on Nashville, you think there's Roman Yosi, there's Shea Weber, then there's the other defenseman. There was Seth Jones, and he wasn't getting many points. It was because I assumed he wasn't getting the opportunity because he was never going to pass the top two guys in the depth chart. But you know what? With Jones gone, there's someone who has really stepped up lately, and that is Matthias Ekholm. He scored two goals yesterday against Edmonton. This is after two games before that where he had one assist in each of those, so he has four points in his last three games. And I was reading about Ekholm in today's Dauber's Daily Ramblings written by Ian Gooding. He was talking about how the Seth Jones trade has really benefited Matthias Ekholm as he is now getting his chance to play on the Predators' second power play unit, and he has played 20-plus minutes for seven of eight games since the trade, and that's a number he had reached just five times all season before. So Ekholm has had a big boost in his deployment, which I guess makes sense since they lost one of their major defensemen in Seth Jones. And, you know, there's a guy like Ryan Ellis. And I think at one point we were asked on the Facebook group who we like better between Ryan Ellis and Matthias Ekholm. And my answer at the time was Ellis. And Ellis isn't doing that badly lately. He actually has three points in his last five games. But if you look at just the minutes played, Ekholm is the guy getting more time. And he really is taking advantage of it. I would definitely want Ekholm over Ellis right now. And I feel like for a guy like Ekholm, who is only 4.1% owned in ESPN, and we talk about how it's so hard to find a good defenseman in free agency, he might be worth looking at right now. Yeah, there's been a direct correlation from Seth Jones being traded to Matthias Ekholm, seeing a bump up in minutes, huge minutes, as many as 24 minutes and 41 seconds last night against Edmonton, and he did cash in two assists with that. But you are going to be looking mostly for even strength production from him. He is also now seeing time on the power play, which he wasn't seeing when Seth Jones was in the lineup. But it's generally a small share, like 30-40% of his team's power play time, which means he's on the second unit. Not seeing the most chances of Nashville Blue Liners, and that'll probably stay the case for as long as Roman Yosi and Shea Weber are around. But as a depth defenseman, this is a guy who has chops. He's actually been up and coming for like four or five years. Every year, the whispers have grown louder for material. He is at home. And I feel like he's a really good depth defenseman option in the coming years and maybe even beginning now, a little sooner than we expected. I remember this Ellis Ekholm debate from earlier this season, Elon, and like the wisdom of the group was definitely Ellis. I did point out that Ekholm still has something to prove and that we really don't know where he's going to stand right now. I'm excited to see him start producing. Don't count on a whole lot of production because I still think his strength is in being a two-way defenseman, not necessarily an offense-first defenseman. But of course, with added ice time, points are going to come. Yeah, good point, Brian. But for now, grab Matisse at home. You can always drop him in a couple of weeks. He's a perfect streaming defenseman who's hot right now, getting more minutes than he ever has before. Brian, I've got to ask, you keep saying he's a good depth defenseman to add. You said the same thing about Nick Letty. What is a depth defenseman? What does that mean? For me, that generally means like a number three, four, five guy in your lineup. So I'm trying to say that Letty and Ekholm aren't looking like guys or projecting to be guys right now who should be one of the two guys that you're really relying on for the things that you'd hope for from your top defensemen, like a lot of power play points and a lot of even strength points, but they can still make some contributions to your team from those spots in your lineup. Oh, okay. I see. Well, I think actually Nick Letty, the way he's been playing now, he is acting like a top two defenseman and he is in a role on his team where he can do it. Maybe 
I'm too high on Nick Letty right now. I'm very excited that I got him for free as a free agent. But okay, I guess we should start winding things down. We talked about Matthias Ekholm, who's maybe a lesser known player. Let's go even more lesser known. We got a question on Twitter from at Perez Rules this morning asking, at Keeping Carlson, please talk about Joe Blandesey on the Devils this week. Seems great. Don't know anything about him other than nice stats. And you know what, Perez? That question does rule because Joseph Blantisi does have really great stats on the Devils lately. He's got six points in his last six games. Point per game in that pace. He's got six points in 10 games overall on the year. So he wasn't doing anything for the first four games. Seems like he's starting to get more ice time with the Devils. And lately, he's seen himself on a pretty decent line, at least as far as the Devils go, playing with Kyle Palmieri and Travis Zajac. So he's getting an opportunity. Oh, look at this. He's also getting some power play time. He was on the ice for two minutes with the man advantage yesterday against Winnipeg, which was the most for his team. Like he was on the unit that played the most. Okay, Brian, I'm going to join Perez with this question. Who is this guy? Where'd he come from? Is he good? Blandisi is a 21-and-a-half-year-old rookie making an impact for sure in his last few games. His road to the NHL has actually been really interesting. As he was finishing his junior career in the OHL as an overager, he was voted the second most outstanding player in the league, second only to somebody by the name of Connor McDavid. Now, again, he was an overager that year, so he was a year older than most of the players in the league. So don't lend too much credence to that, but still, of course, worth something. He was drafted 162nd overall in the sixth round back in 2012 by the Colorado Avalanche, who never offered him a contract. So he went back into the draft was undrafted in 2014, was offered a pro tryout with Buffalo, didn't make it, and now he's caught on with New Jersey. He played only 24 games in the AHL, picking up seven goals and 14 assists for 21 points in that time. And now, of course, we're seeing what he's going to be able to do in the NHL. I'm not sure how long this spot lasts, but as long as guys like Eliash and Tlusti are on the shelf for the Devils, I don't see why, while he's scoring at this clip, that Blandisi might get sent back down anytime soon. He could be a really, really good deep ad, but I'm not going to sacrifice any guy in the NHL who's a 50-point player in order to try and run this guy's hot streak. Yeah, definitely the type of player that's worth adding to your watch list, depending on your league. But yeah, don't go too crazy about him. Yeah, six points in the last six games is pretty amazing. Let's see how he does over the next six games. And I guess I have to mention, speaking of the Devils, I did call Lee Stempniak a snoozer a couple of weeks ago when I saw that he was off the top line. That was obviously a big mistake. I hope you didn't drop him. He's got four goals and two assists in his last four games. He's back playing with Camilleri and Henrique. If you could get him back, if you dropped him, I would do it. Lee Stepniak, again, is in a good position. I don't expect him to keep up this pace, but definitely he wasn't a snoozer like I thought he was. And hey, even Blandisi's doing well in the second line, so maybe I gotta start giving these devils some credit, even if they go on a bit of a cold streak. But okay, Brian, I'm gonna take a shot again. I'm gonna say another snoozer, which maybe it's not even the right word. It's more like if we mention this player, he's gonna start doing really well. So I'm gonna wake up a player right now, Jimmy Howard, though, if you still have him, I think it's time to maybe consider letting go. I'm not sure if we've said this before, but at one point we thought it was going to maybe be a 50-50 thing with Mrazek. That's definitely not the case anymore. Howard is the number two goalie there. Elon, I'm just going to cut in on you. I swear we had this conversation in, like, December. Well... If we had, then since then, Howard has played only two games, and he's been 900 save percentage or less in both of those games, both losses. So if you still have him, he's still 33% owned in ESPN. I think it should be less. Yeah, it's safe to say that anyone who is still counting on him to even see a third of his team start is snoozing pretty hard right now. And also, when he is playing, 
He's not doing that well. He was good at the beginning of the year for a bit, but that just shows how bad he's been lately because overall now on the season, he has only a 908 save percentage. And I remember he was hovering around 920 back when we thought that he was going to split starts. Not a great time for Jimmy Howard. I wonder if he'll get traded at some point. I wonder if he'll be able to salvage this career and like still do something or maybe he's like just on a downturn and this is the last time that he's going to be fantasy relevant. It'll be interesting to see. Yeah, someone who had so much promise coming out of the AHL, coming up, you know, the right way, quote unquote, to establishing himself as a real goalie prospect to be good in the NHL. He was supposed to be Detroit's goalie for years to come. He had kind of like a Ryan Miller vibe coming up. Did not really follow through, although, you know, we know today's Ryan Miller is different than the Ryan Miller that we did see back then in Buffalo. But it'll be really interesting to see where his career goes from here. He's still got a pretty big contract for the next short while and hasn't played like a goalie who can really even come close to living up to it. So we'll see if maybe he's a reclamation project for another team sometime down the road. And then one last snoozer I'm going to throw at you. Last week, we actually got a tweet saying, why didn't you talk about Andrew Shaw on the last episode? Because he's been so good. And it's true. Andrew Shaw had one of his trademark stretches where he got on the top line in the top power play, was putting up so many points. He had three multi-point games in like the stretch of a week or two. But if you picked him up during the stretch, good for you. Hopefully you got some of the production. But now it's time to let him go. In his last three games, he's only taken two shots. He only played seven minutes and 56 seconds in the last game against Florida. Looks like he's off the top line. Maybe he'll get back there. You might want to grab him again, but right now, I'd say, give up on Andrew Shaw for now. He's not the kind of guy that goes on these long stretches and is actually a fantasy relevant and valuable player for you for a long time on your roster. He's the epitome of a streaming guy who you pick up while he's hot and then you drop as soon as he gets cold. So I think you're fine to drop him. Really funny, Elon, that we actually were side by side last week and you said, Brian, should we cover Andrew Shaw? And I said, he'll be old news by the end of the week. And we decided not to talk about him. Sure enough, he had a good game after that and someone tweeted us, why didn't you talk about Andrew Shaw and then we felt kind of bad about it because we at least should have acknowledged but of course it has been a week later and we're back to where we started with Andrew Shaw as a player who is probably not worth a regular spot on your roster. Okay with that Brian I think we're pretty much at the end of our show. Before we sign off let me thank the patrons of Keeping Carlson. Thank you so much to all of you who not only listen to the show not only tweeted us and give us reviews on iTunes but those of you who actually donate five dollars a month to support the show. We thank you so much and if you're not a patron of Keeping Carlson you can check out keepingcarlson.com patron because we have a little program going. We have a patron-only Facebook group, which is still very busy. Even as the season goes on, you might think some people might be falling out of their leagues and not that interested, but I think the Facebook group is just as active as it has been for the past few months. Definitely a good time if you're trying to decide moves you want to make. You just ask it on the patron group and you get like five, six, ten responses of people giving you advice, Brian and myself included, of course. Plus, we have our monthly patron casts available only to patrons. It's a special podcast. We did the last one on Blab. You could ask questions. Brian and I are just sitting there answering all the questions we have a blast. We actually had a really good patron cast last Wednesday. If you become a patron, you have access to all of the old patron cast recordings. You can go and listen. We actually talked about a couple of players like Alex Galchenyuk. Brian gave his opinions about whether he's worth holding on to. Yuri Hoodler, some of these snoozer type guys, but that have been good in the past. So we had some really fun discussions. And it's always fun, of course, to get the opinions of the patrons. A couple of them even came on the air. So if you are interested at all in anything I'm saying, check out keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Again, though, for everyone, thank you so much for listening. Follow us on Twitter at keepingcarlson. Five-star review on iTunes would be amazing but with that let's cue the outro music and brian reads the credits all right this episode of the keeping carlson fantasy hockey podcast was supported by our patrons and presented by dauberhockey.com it was researched with help from dauber hockey frozen pool war on ice hockey analysis roto world yahoo sports and espn fantasy hockey thank you brian great job as always can't wait to do this all again next week and until then elon keep on keeping carlson <laughs>